You're listening to the Golf Science Lab, where we're providing relevant education for golfers from a unique perspective. And this is a special bonus episode. Here's what we have. We have 14 performance experts in just 30 minutes. Because just last month in April, we held the Unlocking Performance Summit. We brought together 14 presenters for 12 sessions and delivered some incredible education focused on performance and the mental game. So I chopped it up into these tiny segments so you can sit back, listen in. This is going to be fast-paced as we run through some incredible ideas for you to implement. Let's get into it. When we practice or prepare we can work on our technique and really practice that. And I can go to the gym and work on my fitness to get stronger and more flexible. And I can go and make sure my, my equipment is fitted and it's good. And I can, you know, go and train more my mental skills or emotional skills. So I can do all that in practice. But we need to realize that once I put my foot on the first tee, I can no longer change my technical skill level. Like, if I don't know how to hit a slice, it's not going to suddenly appear. If I don't know how to hit a bunker shot, it's not going to appear. You have to play with the skill levels you have at that time technically. And the fitness level too. If I'm tight in my hips, it's going to be tight on the hip, in my hips, and of course play with my equipment. So the way we look at it, once you step on the golf course, what is it actually can influence and do anything about? Yeah. yeah, because, again, many people do all that work leading up to the golf course, and then when they step onto the golf course, they actually don't know what they're supposed to focus on. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, so they'll say things like, man, I got out there today and I lost my swing, and we're like, no. <laughs> you're just insufficient in the skills that you have to manage yourself once you're on the golf course. Yes. Yeah. You know, because your swing got lost. It could be because, you know, tension showed up in your shoulders or your tempo got too quick or your self-talk was bad. But, again, when people don't have a self-awareness of those skills to manage themselves on the course, it becomes impossible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we hear all the time, like, I hit it so great in warm-up. And, like, I don't know what happened. It went away. But of course it doesn't go away. We interfere with it. So that's why we find for all us involved with golf, we just think that we need to help them with the skills to manage yourself on the golf course. Yeah. And every golfer on the planet, it doesn't matter if I have a, if I play on tour or I'm a 36 handicap golfer. It doesn't matter if I spend a lot of time practicing on the range or not. We all need, need that. And that's what we call these human skills that you need to play the game of golf. Well, we have made them explicit in our essential playing skills, but it's to manage that either physical state, mental state, or more emotional state. Because everything that we want to do in the pre-living exercises speaks to imagining yourself succeeding and what that feels like in every vivid detail that you can possibly imagine it. That's what it feels like inside your body, how it felt in your hands, the, 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 the level of tension you might feel once you've hit the and you're watching that putt roll, the sound that ball makes as it drops into the cup, I call that the baby rattle, what other people might be saying as soon as it happens, and, and that overall, that lightness of accomplishment, it has an emotional content. And I want you to embrace that. I want you to imagine. I want you to visualize that. But in that way, that incorporates all the senses. And so now, learning how to do that both when you're just thinking right now about it, 
But then going into your pre-shot routine and actually conjuring up all of that in your process of moving into the putt. Maybe you tie it to a rehearsal or a series of rehearsals that that's the one. I you know that one maybe a lot of people use three rehearsals as part of their rehearsal routine. And that's where you learn through the pre-living process to aggrandize, bring in all of the senses, feelings and and ways in either in any vivid way you can that you've just hit that putt and then it just rolled exactly through what you imagine the break and it went in and how that feels. Then you immediately move into your process of setting up and letting that putt go. What I found is that the odds just go way up and the ball finds the hole percentage-wise more often with the players that have used it. Our self-image impacts how we talk to ourselves, our internal dialogue, which impacts our mindset, how we see things, and then what our vision is for the future. That vision for our future impacts what we're doing in our process and our plan and our development. Now, you can use this in sports and in life. You can see the parallels. That our plan, what we create, our structure, our, our organizational plan impacts and interacts with the world around us. Then finally, kind of how we project ourselves. So if we go to the second page, the self-image, that's the core of things, really what we, how we perceive ourselves. It's the core of you, your self-determined traits, your capabilities and your representations. I use a verbiage of capacity and capabilities for athletes. Your capabilities are your inherent ability to do something, what you're fully capable of. But your capacity on that day is different. Your capacity has many different factors. It may not be, it may not equal your capa- your capabilities. It, because may have you may be ill, you might be sore, you might be exhausted, you might be frustrated. There might be a lot of factors that are contributing to your overall capacity. That I think self-image kind of creates into that and, and contributes to that. Your self-image is influenced by a variety of factors, and starting with your experiences. You know, the thought that your environment doesn't help shape or create you is complete. And, and people who say it doesn't is complete hogwash. It obviously absolutely does. It's what we give power to is the important thing. So the, the factor of our nature and our experience, those positive experiences can be constructive, how we learn and how we grow through them. People with poor attention control, in other words, that they get distracted by external things. If you are one of those people who easily get distracted by external things, in other words, you get out there and play and you can't, you can't block out your playing partners. You can't block out that people are watching on the first tee. You're too attentive to the score, to the conditions the, the rain or the conditions of the golf course, and you can't immerse yourself in what you're doing, those same people, when you watch them go practice, they do the exact opposite of what they should do. That person with poor attention control will go to the driving range and they'll look down the range and they'll find the area of the range where nobody is. And they'll go to the end of the range and they'll be by themselves. If there's someone on the putting green, they won't practice putting. They'll wait till they leave and then they'll go practice putting by themselves. They put themselves in a situation where there are no attentional demands because they don't have good attention control. It's the exact opposite of what I would prescribe they do as a sports psychologist. I want the person to be practicing in a distracting environment. I want them to go park right between four other people and start hitting balls and learn to block out the people that are next to them. They do just the opposite. They want... They put themselves in an environment where the environment 
has no distracting, no attention control challenges, and thus they never develop the skill. Um, so sometimes it's just saying, no, stop doing what you're doing to protect a weakness that you have, and let's put yourself in the condition where it will challenge the weakness, and now let's start to develop your ability to keep your attention focused while those distractions are there. Yeah, and it gets back to the premise that you said is most people practice what's easy and what's comfortable and we don't challenge ourselves we don't put ourselves in uncomfortable situations but that's what we need to do to work on that weakest link and and obviously we can have weakest links in the mental game as well like you talked about so i i think that's fantastic practice in a distracting environment gives you give yourself uncomfortable situations when you're practicing those are all really going to help when the pressure's on and you have to perform on the golf course with people watching and that's the reason if i summed it up it's why we encourage people to have a coach have a coach because coaches are there to do those things. When we're left on our own, we, we don't want to practice our weaknesses. We, we don't tend to put ourselves in difficult situations that will challenge our weaknesses. Who, who wants to do that? It doesn't feel good to do that. It's certainly productive to do that if we're trying to improve performance. But I don't think on our own, we tend to do that as much as we would were we hiring, just like hiring a personal trainer in fitness. That trainer's going to ask us to do the things that we would probably never do on our own because they're acknowledging and they're trained to assess what's best for us in a more objective manner than we would do for ourselves. It's not what you're thinking. Because if it was what you were thinking, for instance, a swing thought would always work. So let's say someone has a swing thought. They want to make a full turn, okay? They want to make a full turn, right? So they get to the 15T. They tell themselves on, uh, with their driver, make a full turn, full turn. They just strike it. It's the best. It's the best tee shot of the day. Okay. They get to the 16th tee. They tell themselves the same thing. After all, work on the 15th tee. Full turn. The ball goes nowhere. So if it was what you were thinking, a swing thought would never break down. Why would it break down? But it's not what you're thinking. It's not the content of your thought. It's not what you're thinking. It's how you're thinking. It's from what level of the mind the thought was generated from. This is the secret sauce. And it's not my secret sauce. It's nature's secret sauce. And this explains why people, whether they're amateurs or professionals, change swing thoughts all the time. I talked to someone who was on tour for 20 years and said, I have a new swing thought every week. Well, if you multiply 4 times 52 times 20, that's a lot of swing thoughts, okay? And I'm sure a lot are recycled, but he's always changing. So this is how it works. Ready? So you get a, you get a new swing thought. It's very soft. It's gentle. It's innocent. It's very quiet. And it works spectacularly well. So you start generating it from the surface level of the mind, and then it doesn't work anymore. So what do you have to do? I got, I got to start over. Boom, 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 boom. Then you get another swing thought. It's very soft. It's new. It's fresh. It's unique. It works fantastically well. So then you start generating it from the surface level of the mind, and then it doesn't work anymore. Now, what is that all about? That's ridiculous. You're admitting that I don't really know a very fundamental question. I, I can't answer this question, so I'm always searching. 
question is, how is intention transformed into execution? You know, an example of someone standing on the first tee and getting those first tee jitters and thinking to yourself, man, if only I could get up here and not be nervous, or if only I could get up here and not think about hitting a shank into the pool right of the hole, then maybe I'd be okay. And now you spend that next maybe 15 to 30 seconds trying to do whatever you can to think a different way. But wait, I can, in the back of my mind, that thought is still sort of, still there. I can still feel that tension. And now you're in this deep battle with yourself, not over the thought itself, but trying to get, get rid of it. And the opposite of that would be to stand on that first tee and, and sort of feel that thought coming. Okay, I, I, I'm sensing some nervous. I'm, I'm aware that I'm nervous. I'm aware that I'm feeling some anxiety. Guess what? It's okay. I'm going to allow that to sort of resonate, sit with for a little bit to move forward with. That's where you return your focus. So now no longer is the focus on trying to change what you think, trying to stop thinking negatively. Now it's about focusing on the task at hand. I set out to find experts in performance to help us understand the mental side of the game. And fortunately, I was able to put together an incredible group to help us all get a better grasp of these concepts. And, and now you can listen to the rest of these sessions, the full recordings at unlockingperformancesummit.com. The feedback from these has been amazing. And hopefully, like Len, you'll be saying something like, when they say golf is mental, no one says, okay, what does this mean? How do I deal with that? Well, with the Unlocking Performance Summit, you finally have provided the answers. Check it out at unlockingperformancesummit.com. When we think about belief, there's there's really four places where it comes from. And this is taken straight out of Bender's research, which is A, experience. So oftentimes confidence comes from evidence. And so when there's external evidence or you see yourself or witness yourself being successful, that fuels your self-image, your, your belief. There's this idea of modeling. Hey, if this person can do it, why can't I? And so when you think of the influx of female professional golfers from, from South Korea and you think of this Siri Pak effect, that totally shifted the, basically the overall mindset of a culture to say, you know what, someone from here did it, so can I. There's this element of persuasion, which would be any sort of external feedback or encouragement from, from others, not the person performing. And so when you think of Jason Day, you had his father, you had Colin Swat, and you had the whole environment of the school around. Um, just a lot of conditions there are ripe to sort of push him externally in that direction that he wants to, and again, fuel his own beliefs about what he's capable of achieving. And then fourthly, physiology. And this one's a little more performance specific. Someone's likely to believe in their abilities more if their physical state is such that um, one that's sort of calm and not under stress, as opposed to one who's, who's very, very anxious and, and fearful. And so a, a lot of what's talked about in terms of unlocking performance from a psychological perspective often, often is sort of centered or, or, or focused on ways where we can manage our physiology and get into a sort of a performance state that enables us to access our skills and, and, and do what we can. But I think these other three preceding points are, are, are also equally important to sort of that whole cultivation of that individual's belief. Most golfers are what I call ego golfers. You know, they, they reach a point where they, um, they tie how well they're playing 
with how they look in front of other golfers. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest fear that, uh, that most golfers have is like how they look in front of other golfers. And there's this perception that if you're not a very good golfer, you're not a very good person, or it somehow reflects who you are as a person by how well you play on the golf course. And so this is quite a key thing to think about. And uh, a lot of players that I've worked with have found this, found this to be quite effective in separating yourself as a person and you as a player. So you'd probably hear, hear this mentioned in, in mental toughness and elite performers are able to do this, whatever consistent elite performers are able to do this. They're able to kind of switch off everything that is going on in their personal life and almost act, act like a champion during every round. So, you know, I'd recommend figuring out who your, your favorite golfer is and kind of like acting as they would act during a round of golf. So if you ever get into situations on the golf course where you're, uh, you're feeling a bit uncomfortable, think of, of how that person would, would act. And so, you know, your body language, your, 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 your facial expressions, all these kinds of things can help, uh, uh, you know, can help you get into that right sort of persona to be able to get, get your best out of a round. We have to want success bad enough that we're willing to do the things we don't want to do. One of the, uh, I was with a player on tour and we had this, this game where we're always playing for stuff. I mean, if you see me out on tour, you, I can guarantee you I'm doing push-ups because I'm always betting push-ups. You know, I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll leave a weekend you know, doing like 500 push-ups because I just lost. And so uh, with this player on this putting green, we were getting push-ups, betting push-ups against like tickets to, uh, you know, a Phillies game. I wanted those tickets. So I set up the game and he had a two putt every hole that was on the putting green. He had one shot to do it. Here was the thing. There was one putt there that was really, really difficult. And when he steps up and he doesn't, he hasn't practiced at all. He says, I'm starting with that one right there. The most difficult putt. And you know what it made me think of? We got to start with the most difficult things first. If we've got to eat two frogs, eat the ugly one first. Start with the difficult stuff. It gives us confidence that we can get anything done, too. But we've got it reversed. We want to start with the easy stuff, build up momentum. It doesn't work that way. Start with the toughest thing, the thing that we do not want to do first. And it takes away the fear of doing anything else, and it shows us that, look, we can do it. Most of what we do is a habit. And this is how habits work. You get reminded, so you hit a bad shot. You go into the, the routine of beating yourself up. The brain gives you a dopamine squirt because you've told yourself off and it feels a little bit safer or whatever it is. You walk onto the first tee, you pay attention to all the out-of-bounds, um, the out-of-bounds places that you can hit the ball. Your brain says, well done, you've notified the dangers, good stuff. So this is how habits work and it's how we, most of what, what we're doing right now, yourself and I and anyone who's listening to this, is just a habit. And that, that starts with how you're breathing, the automated function of your physiological system, you know, your heart's beating, how you're breathing, exchanging oxygen and, and CO2. It's about how you're holding your posture. It's about how you're thinking. It's about how you're listening to what I say. These are not conscious actions. They are, they are automated behaviours. And up to 95% of what you do is just a habit. So whatever our behaviour is currently on the golf course, whether it's helpful bits of what we do or unhelpful bits, it's just a habit. So to change it is going to be challenging because building new habits is difficult. Some, I think there's a myth out there that says 
it takes 21 days to build new habits. Nonsense. It can take up to a year to build a new habit. Habits are very complicated. They're integrated. They're, connect, they're connected. We can change ourselves for sure, but you have to be realistic about the change process. There's a lot of golfers, a lot of students that will always ask, why can't I take my range game to the course? And quite simply, they're not in an effective learning model. And that really affects the retention of the knowledge and the skills that they're getting. So currently in the golf world, there's a lack of transfer of skills into the competitive environment. You know, a lack of transfer of that range game, striking the ball well repeatedly on the golf range, that doesn't happen when players go to the golf course. You have to be making it hard putting yourself in a, uh, a situation where, you know, you're working at the edge of your present ability or else learning doesn't take place. You're just really going through the motions. And that's, again, it's very sad that people spend hours and hours and hours at the range and they don't know what to believe, but yet they're sold on it. You know, they, they, think that they're moving in the right direction, yet they would be skeptical if you, you know, ask them, does it transfer to the course? But then they somehow irrationally feel as though they're idiots, you know, that they have some huge mental impairment when they don't. They have never really trained in a way that should result in a considerable change you know, on the golf course or in competition. A positive mind making clear decisions and freely accessing available skill provides the best opportunity for success. Success can be defined as, you know, a competitive junior, competitive college player, or it can also be the recreational, you know, Saturday foursome. Continuing on, you know, we know that for a long time, we've always been trying to figure out how to help golfers. When they're anxious, uncomfortable, they don't feel confident, or where they discover they're, they're, not, they're not prepared or they lack a skill, negative emotions come rushing in. And when they come rushing in, they disrupt the free-flowing signals in the brain, causing poor decision-making and errant shots. And I'm a firm believer that when those errant shots show up, you haven't lost skill. You simply lost the ability to access your skill. It's the, the concept of, of hitting it great on the driving range and then going to play, and you can't replicate those successes. And uh, I really think that has to do with your being uncomfortable, less than confident, or not knowing how to prepare for the golf course. I hope that you've enjoyed this fast-paced episode and found a few key takeaways for you that you can go out and implement into your game. Make sure to check out the full recordings, all the information, unlockingperformancesummit.com. You'll enjoy it. I guarantee it. This episode was hosted by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. It was edited, mixed, and produced by Just at Published Productions. And we'll see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab.